Well, thanks, Steve. Well, good morning, everyone. 8.30 service on this gloomy, rainy morning. Jesus definitely loves you more. Some available for you, and so you can grab one of those, and you can turn to page 752 in those black Bibles that, uh, that should be in the chairs in front of you. Uh, page 752 is where you're going to find John 15 there. And, um, and let me just say, uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, if you don't own a copy of the Bible or if you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, we think it's so important that you have a Bible that we, we just want you to take one of ours. Okay? And so if you don't have a Bible, write your name in one of ours, take it home. It's a gift from us to you, and, uh, and you can have that. So page 752 in those Bibles that we've provided for you. Now, as you guys are flipping there and getting ready to, to jump into this passage, let me just give you a little bit of context to kind of give us some bearing of where we're at. So basically, in John chapter 15, this is the continuation of something that's called the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse. And what that basically is, what we see here is that these are Jesus' final moments with his disciples. Okay? So this is like Jesus speaking on intimate terms with his disciples. These are kind of his final departing words. These are his last moments before he goes to the cross. So I just want you to imagine this is a very intimate setting. And in John chapter 15 specifically, this is simply Jesus with 11 disciples. Judas has already betrayed him. So it's Jesus and 11 disciples. Most likely the setting is that they're in a garden. Okay, so Jesus is in a garden with his disciples. He's not preaching to them. He's having a conversation with them. That's where I want to pick it up in John chapter 15. And what we're going to see is that it's in this garden setting that Jesus draws a very powerful metaphor about himself. Here's what he says, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command, and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you may, so, that you may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. All right, so this little passage of scripture we see in here, Jesus makes a very, very, very profound statement about himself, a very powerful metaphor. He's walking with his disciples. Just imagine they're going through this garden setting together. And as they're going through this garden, Jesus looks and he, and you just imagine, right, he's walking probably through a vineyard, there's probably all these trees, and he says, what's our relationship like? He's like, well, let me give you a metaphor. He's like, here's what our relationship is like. I'm the vine, is what he says. And then in verse 4, he says, and you guys are like the branches. You guys are like the branches of the vine. And what's Jesus saying when he's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches? Well, one of the things we've been, we've been noticing in this series, if you've been with us for the past several weeks, is that Jesus has said a series of unbelievably profound things about himself. I mean, shockingly profound. So last week we saw Jesus said, for example, he said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, just this radical, profound thing he says about himself. Earlier, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, right? I'm the light of the world, he says. In another place, he says, I am the gate. He says, I am the good shepherd. In another place, he says, before Abraham was even born, 
I am. So what we've been noticing is these shockingly profound statements Jesus has made about himself. So keeping with that, Jesus goes on here and he kind of he summarizes all of those things he said about himself in this metaphor. He says, I'm the vine, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. In other words, he's saying, I am the source of life. I am the force and the power behind, uh, which gives sustenance to you, right? You think about a vine, you think about a branch. A branch draws all of its nutrients, it draws all of its life, it draws all of its power off of the vine. And Jesus says, that's what our relationship is like. I'm like that vine. All the power, all the force of life, all of the vitality, all the spiritual nutrition, all of those things come directly from me. And this is the analogy he uses. And so this is kind of a summary of all the things that Jesus Christ has said about himself. Of course, this is not unlike other things that the Bible tells us about Jesus. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 27, we're told this about Jesus. This is crazy. Look, it says, The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For, look, this is, this is nuts. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And verse 17. He is before all things, and, and in him all things hold together. So, so what you can see, the Bible talks about Jesus. It has a very, very high view of Christ. What this passage is telling us essentially is that the force of life that gives life to all things in the universe is Jesus Christ himself, that he is that force. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them, he makes this radical statement in his own words. He says, I am the vine. I am the vine. And you are the branches. And you are the branches. That means the source of life, the source of vitality, the, the source of nourishment, all of those things come through me. Powerful, profound statement that Jesus makes about himself. Now, if that's true, if that's what Jesus is saying, I am the vine and we are the branches, you and I, we are the branches, then what does that mean? Right? What are the implications for you and I if that's true, what Jesus said about himself? Well, I think there's several implications, but I think Jesus actually tells us those implications in this passage. And I think what it means, if Jesus truly is the vine, if that is true about him, that means, two, that means a couple things. That means this. That means that there are two types of branches, and that means there are two types of pain. Okay, two types of branches and two types of pain. And we see them right here in this passage. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about two different types of branches. If Jesus is the vine, then what are the two different types of branches? And if Jesus is the vine, then what are the two different types of pain? And then after we're done, I just want to ask you a question. The question I want to ask you is, what type of branch are you and what kind of pain are you experiencing? Okay, those are the two things we want to kind of look at. So let's start with this. If Jesus is a vine, there are two different types of branches. What kind of branches are there? Well, quite simply, this is extremely simple. There's the connected branch, and there's the disconnected branch. Simple enough, right? There's the connected branch, and there's the disconnected branch. If you notice verses 4 and 5, glance down at those verses again. Jesus says, remain in me. Some of you have different translations. It says, abide in me, right? Interchangeably. Remain in me or abide in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying the key, the key to the Christian life is an abiding or a remaining relationship. It's staying connected to the vine. As a matter of fact, that little term that's used there, remain, some of you have it, abide, is used 11 times 
from verse 4 to verse 11 in this, in, this, in this chapter, which tells us that that's kind of the main theme of this whole thing, is remain connected, stay connected to Jesus Christ, right? And so because of that, there's two different types of branches. There's the connected branch, and there's the disconnected branch. And according to Jesus, the way that you can determine, the outward way to determine which branch is which, according to Jesus, is this idea of fruitfulness. Jesus says, if you remain in me, and I remain in you, you will bear fruit. You will bear much fruit, is what Jesus says in this passage. Now, I know some of you are thinking to yourself, okay, all right, I, I'm, I'm tracking with that. I know what you're talking about when you say that a branch needs to, remain to, needs to stay remaining in the vine to bear fruit. That makes sense to me. But what in the world does it look like for a Christian to bear fruit? Right? Like, what does that actually look like for a person to bear fruit? What is he talking about, right? Well, I'll tell you what he's talking about. In short, what Jesus means when he talks about bearing fruit is this. Fruitfulness in the Bible, what we see throughout Scripture, fruitfulness means, it means the life of Jesus lived out in me. It means the life of Jesus lived out in me. It means the character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about bearing fruit. The life, the life of Jesus is lived out through me. Let me just give you a few examples of that. Because in Scripture, this term fruit shows up in a lot of different ways. And I'll just show you three of them real quick. Right? So fruitfulness talks about the life of Jesus lived out through me. But one of the ways that that manifests itself is the mission of Jesus lived out through me. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, for example, here's what the Apostle Paul says to the Romans. He's writing to these guys, and he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often have planned to come to you, and I've been prevented. He's like, I want to come see you, but I can't because I've been prevented. And he says, I want to come so that I might obtain some fruit, some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. What's the Apostle Paul talking about there when he's talking about fruit? What he's talking about is he's talking about helping people know Jesus and grow in Jesus. He's like, I want to come to you. I want to share my faith with you. I want to help you get grounded in your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to help you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says, my desire for you is to bear fruit, what is he talking about? Well, one of the, one of the ways that we bear fruit, according to the Bible, is by sharing Jesus with other people and is by having a desire to watch people know Jesus and grow in Jesus. So one of the ways that you know you're abiding is are you sharing your faith? You have a desire to see people know Jesus and grow in Jesus. Discipleship, evangelism, are those things happening, right? That's one picture of fruitfulness in the scripture. Here's, here's another picture. So, so the mission of Jesus is lived out in you. The generosity of Jesus is a sign of fruitfulness. So here's another example. Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about this group of people called the Macedonians, and they just gave a big financial contribution to another group of people who are in need. And this is what he says. He says, For Macedonia and Achaia had been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. Therefore, when I finish this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, there's the word again, fruit, I will go to you by way of Spain. So here's another picture of fruitfulness, according to Scripture. Bearing fruit is living out the life of Jesus. It's living out the mission of Jesus, sharing your faith, having a desire to see people know Jesus and grow in Jesus. It's also living out the generosity of Jesus, right? The, in the same way that Jesus gave of himself sacrificially. So we see the same thing. And then here's another example. There's a few more in the Bible, but I'll just give you this last one. The other thing is the character of Jesus. When I say fruit, for some of you, the first passage you go to in your mind, if you grew up in the church, it's probably the fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians chapter 5, look what it says. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, there's our word again, fruit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What is that talking about? That's the character of Jesus. 
right? And so here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the result of remaining in the vine is that we will bear fruit, that we will live out the life of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says in this passage that's so profound. What he says is, he says that apart from me, you can do none of this. None of this is possible apart from me. In other words, the life that Jesus wants you to live, the fruit that God desires for you to bear, the potential which God has designed you, uh, and all those things, you will never reach that potential apart from Jesus Christ. See, what this passage does for us, I think, is so important because what it does for us is it helps clear up a major misconception about Christianity. And here's the misconception that it shows us. Jesus tells us in this passage, right, that the Christian life, that the true Christian life is not, it's, that the fruit that God wants us to bear is not an achievement, right, but it's a result, that the things that God wants in your life, the character he wants for you, the, the, the mission that he desires for you, the difference he wants you to make, that, that all of those things come about not by a way of achievement, not by a way of working yourself to those things, but they come by way of remaining in the vine of Jesus Christ, and they are therefore a result. Right? And this is a major misconception, because I think sometimes in the Christian life, we talk about these things, about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We talk about sharing our faith. We talk about generosity. And we talk about those things as if there's something that we can just muster up enough strength and energy and force those things to happen in our lives, right? Like, like I could get up here, for example, and I could preach about how it's, you need to share your faith. I could say, hey, if you're a Christian, here's 25 reasons why you're a bad Christian if you don't share your faith. And I could guilt trip you into it, and I would give you a bunch of facts and convincing evidence, and I could do all of those things. But according to this, to, to this passage, what we see is that all of that would be temporary. Because true fruit, fruitfulness, is not an achievement, right? It's a result. It's not something I work towards. It's something that comes naturally by an abiding relationship or a connected relationship with the vine. I could get up here, and I could preach to you about how you need to be more patient. You need to be more patient. I can... I could give you quotes and all this great stuff. I could appeal to your logic and your senses. And all of that might last for, I don't know, about five minutes, right? Because we see that fruit, true fruit, is not an achievement. True fruit is a result of an abiding relationship in Jesus Christ. I could, I could get up here and I could tell you that you need to be more generous. I could show you an emotional video about something that touches your heart. And I could get up and I could appeal to your emotion and I could say, you guys, we need to give. So you need to give more. Consider the children. You know, I could do something like that. And, and you might, in a moment, be inspired to write a check, but that's not lasting, right? Jesus says, what we see in the scripture, is that the fruit that God desires to see in your life, the, the potential that God has placed in you, will never be fully realized unless you're connected to the person of Jesus Christ. These things are all a result. See, for a branch, right, for a branch, the, the, the way they bear fruit is not by focusing on the end of the branch, trying to muster up enough strength within itself to produce fruit. The way that a branch produces fruit is instead by looking to the base of the branch at the vine. It relies on the vine, and the natural result is that through this abiding relationship, fruit will happen. Right? Fruit is just a natural product of what happens. So Jesus says there's two different types of branches. There's the branch that abides, that's connected, and he says, and you know that branch. Because that branch produces fruit. That branch, not, not because of its own effort and its own strength, but because of its relationship with the vine, the natural result is that it's going to bear fruit, is what Jesus says. He says the other type of branch is the disconnected branch. He said, and you know that branch, you know that branch because there's no fruit, because there's no growth, because nothing's 
happening that way. So there's two types of branches, Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine. Two types of branches. There's a connected branch and there's the disconnected branch. But then he goes on and he says something really crazy here. And what we see is he says that there are two different types of pain, therefore. And the two, two, two different types of pain that we see in this passage is that there's the pain of pruning and there's the pain of withering. The pain of pruning and the pain of withering. And so we'll talk about these real quick. First, the pain of pruning. Let's take a look real quick at verses 1 and 2. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine. My father is the gardener, right? So he's like, I'm the vine. My father is the gardener. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, the connected branch, right, what, what does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit, that it'll be even more fruitful, right? So what's Jesus talking about here? He's saying that for the branch that bears fruit, right, that there's pruning that's involved. So here's, here's, here's the, I got bad news and good news for you this morning. Here's the bad news. Bad news first, all right? The bad news is that in this life, pain and suffering and hardship are inevitable. Inevitable. That's the bad news. And I don't even need to tell you that. You know that right now, right? If I was to ask you what's causing you pain, hardship, or trouble right now, you could probably give me a list of things, right? Most would probably be your children. But these you know, things that are causing you pain, causing you hardship, causing you trouble in your life today. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when these things happen. It's inevitable. But here's the good news. The good news is that the pain that you have in your life, that not all of it has to be in vain. That God desires to actually use that to create in you more fruitfulness. That God wants to use the pain in your life to actually achieve in you greater fruitfulness. As a matter of fact, if you look down at verse 8 for just a moment, look what he says here in verse 8. He says, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here's what you need to know. That Jesus' goal for your life is that you bear more fruit. That, that, that he will maximize your fruitfulness. That's God's intention in your life. And you guys, I think this is so important because it helps us gain perspective on the fact that God's goal in our life is not to remove our pain, but is to redeem our pain. God's goal in our life is not to take our pain away, but is to leverage it to maximize our fruitfulness, to bring out all of the potential that God has put within us. And when we can understand that, it ultimately changes our perspective. And when I was reading this passage, it reminded me of um, there's a ser- one of the first sermons I ever preached a long, long time ago. I used this analogy. And, and honestly, I, it stuck with me ever since I first used it. And let's be honest, it's helped me a lot over the past few years. So I thought I'd share it with you just because it's helped me so much, and hopefully it helps you too. But when I read this passage, what it reminded me of when I, when I was reading it was the movie The Karate Kid. You guys remember The Karate Kid? How many of you have seen the original The Karate Kid? If you haven't, I don't think you're a Christian the movie's so good. It's such a good movie. And it came out, like, I think in the mid-'80s. I was just a little kid, and I remember watching this movie with my brother, and afterwards, we were so amped up, we would go into the living room and just kick each other and, you know, jump off the couches, and it was just so much fun. I love this movie, The Karate Kid. If you, if you haven't seen The Karate Kid, basically the plot line is that there's this, this young guy, his name is Daniel LaRusso, played by Ralph Macchio, of course, here, and, uh, and he and his mother moved from New York City uh, from the Bronx over to, uh, to California. And so he's the new kid in high school. It's a very difficult move for him. And to make matters worse, when he goes to his high school, he gets bullied by this group of guys who, of course, all know karate, which is just like my high school situation as well. And, uh, and so Daniel is getting bullied all the time. Well, the story goes on, and it tells us that there's this other character named Mr. Miyagi. Miyagi's this awesome karate master who happens to be working as a maintenance man 
at Daniel's son's uh, apartment complex, right? So, so Mr. Miyagi finds out that Daniel is getting bullied, and so uh, he comes to Daniel, and after a long conversation, after a series of events, long story short, he agrees to train Daniel in karate, right? Now the movie's starting to get good. And so he says, uh, he says to Daniel, he's like, show, show up to my house early tomorrow, and we'll get started on your training. So Daniel shows up, right? And the first thing, he's like, he's all pumped up, he's ready to learn karate, and Mr. Miyagi's out there waxing his car. You guys remember this? He's out there waxing his car, and Daniel's like, I'm ready to learn karate. And he's like, Daniel-san. He's like, wax on, wax off. And he gives Daniel the stuff, and he makes him do it, and he waxes on, and, he's, and, he, and he finishes the car, and he, he's like confused. He's like, why, why is this happening right now? And, and then Mr. Miyagi goes on to say, wax all of my cars. And he has all these cars. And so Daniel spends all day waxing the car. He's confused because he thinks he's supposed to be learning karate. But he's just doing this wax on, wax off thing. So anyway, he goes back to Mr. Miyagi after he's done waxing the cars. And he's like, Mr. Miyagi, I'm finished. He's like, you know, so can we learn karate now? And he's like, come back tomorrow, you know. And so the next day he comes back and, uh, and he's sanding his deck. And, and then he's like, Daniel-san. He's like, send the deck, send the deck, you know. And Daniel gets down and starts sanding the deck. He's still confused. He spends all day sanding the deck. And he comes to Mr. Miyagi. He's a little bit frustrated. He's like, okay, so like, are we going to learn karate now? Mr. Miyagi's like, come back tomorrow. And he comes back the next day, and he's like, paint the fence. You know, and he makes him paint the fence. And then the next day, he comes back. He's like, paint the house. You know, and he makes him paint the house. So finally, uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, Daniel has had it. You guys remember this scene? So Mr. Miyagi comes home from a day of fishing, <laughs> and Danielson's been painting his house. And Mr. Miyagi comes home, and Daniel's had it. And so he goes, he flies off the handle with Mr. Miyagi. He's like, you're supposed to be teaching me karate, and all I'm doing is taking care of your stuff, and you're making me paint this, and wash this, and wax this. This is crazy. I'm done. And he starts walking away. He's like, I'm done with this. And then this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. You guys remember this? Mr. Miyagi just stops, and he goes, Danielson. So awesome. And Daniel's like, what? He turns around, and he's like, show me paint defense. You know? Daniel's like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, show me paint defense. And Daniel does paint defense. He's like, show me wax on, wax off. And he shows him. He's like, show me send the dick. And he shows him all this stuff. And then, one of the coolest scenes in the whole movie, Mr. Miyagi launches into a full-out attack on Daniel, right? Punches and kicks. And Daniel, like clockwork, starts going through all these motions blocking Mr. Miyagi's assaults, right? It's unbelievable. And all of a sudden, in that moment, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, like in that moment, it occurs to Daniel and to us as the viewer that, oh my gosh, Mr. Miyagi has been training Daniel in karate, and he's brilliant at it. And Daniel walks away, not, look, not hurting less, um, not, not, not those experiences not wiped away, but he walks away understanding the purpose that lied behind them, right? Now listen, here's, here, for some of you this morning, this is exact, maybe the whole reason that God brought you here this morning is so that you can hear what I have to say right now. This, that God's primary goal in your life is not to remove your pain, is not to take away your pain, is not to alleviate hardship and suffering. All of those things will come in heaven. But God's ultimate goal for your life is to bring you joy, true joy, true joy, and to make you produce fruit more. He wants to prune you. And the only way those things are going to happen is on the far side 
of the pain that comes in your life. It's the perspective that God wants you to have. In fact, if you take a look, look, look down again with me at verse 11. Look what it says. He says, I've told you this, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He's like, this is my goal for you. My, my objective is that you will bear more fruit and my objective in your life is that you will experience true joy. And joy, by the way, is so much better than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial, right? You give me 20 bucks, I'm happy. You take 20 bucks away, I'm not happy, right? That's happiness. Joy is, it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what circumstances are coming my way. There's a deep-rooted joy that's found within. And Jesus says, that's my goal for you. My goal is not to take your pain away. My goal is not to alleviate your suffering. My goal is to bring purpose to those things so that you can see through it and understand that I'm trying to achieve something great within you. The pain of pruning, right? The pain of pruning. Like all of us who follow Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you know this pain, right? It's the pain of trying to hold fast to the promises of God in the midst of a situation where it would be so much easier to abandon them. We all know that feeling. That's the pain of pruning. It's the pain of, of, of holding on to a marriage that looks like it's destroyed, but trying to work through it because you believe that this is God's will for you. It's the pain of pruning, man. And the pain of pruning, the Bible says, leads to life. And that's God's ambition for you. Is he wants you to bear more fruit and ultimately wants to bring you joy. Incomprehensible, regardless of circumstances, joy. That's what he desires for you. It's what God loves, wants to give to each and every single one of us. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, my father is the gardener, and he will prune. The pain is inevitable. It's going to happen. But it's all about how you respond in the midst of it, right? And, and so you can, you can choose then, like Danielson, to lean into it, or you can choose to walk away from it, to disengage in the things of God. And that brings up the second type of pain. Here's the second type of pain. The second type of pain is withering. Is withering. Look what it says here. If you take a look here, verses, uh, verse 5 and 6. It says, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing, he says. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And withers. The pain of withering. Now, the, the, the one thing that pruning and withering have in common is that they are both painful. That's the one thing they have in common. Outside of that, though, they have nothing else in common. Because one type of pain leads to life. The other type of pain leads to death. One type of pain leads to vitality. The other type of pain leads to devitalization. One type of pain leads to fruitfulness. One type of pain leads to, to withering and to dryness and to coldness and to numbness. What, one leads to life and one ultimately leads to death. And the only thing they have in common is that they're both painful experiences. Now, now, here's my question for some of you this morning. My question is, are you, which pain are you experiencing? Are you experiencing the pain of pruning? Are you responding in such a way in the midst of your pain that you're like, God, I'm clinging to, I'm, I want to remain in you. I want to abide in you. I want to stay true to your promises. I want to stay true to your word. I need to stay connected to you. Are you experiencing the pain of pruning or are you experiencing the pain of withering? Is your spiritual life cold and lifeless? It was there, can you remember, like, there was a time, man. I was like, things were going great, man. I was so connected with Jesus. There was a time when things were, like, so good. But, man, now it's like, it's not there anymore. It's cold, and I feel dissonant. And I feel, I, it just, everything is disengaged. It's the pain of withering. We all know that feeling as well. 
And the question I ask you this morning is what branch are you? What branch are you this morning? And what pain are you experiencing? I think those two things are interrelated. What branch and what pain you're experiencing. So so what I want to do this morning is actually kind of something interesting. I'm actually going to ask the band to come up right now. And, And I don't even have many questions I want to ask you today because I thought in light of this incredible passage, the best thing I could do is stop talking and let you deal with the vine. Right? Because if Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, I think that means that you and I need to interact with Jesus in a particular way. And so what I want to do is this. I asked the band if they would be willing just to play some music for us. And I thought maybe I would just allow you guys to have a moment of just quietness and reflection. I'm going to put five questions up on the screen, five questions that deal with your abiding relationship with Jesus. I just want you to go through these questions between you and Jesus. Just talk to him heart to heart. If you're a person that's just investigating Jesus, if you're like, I'm not even sure I believe in all this stuff, would you do me a favor? Would you even go through these questions in your mind? Just, just look at them. Look at them objectively. right? And maybe ask this question. Ask this question in your own mind. Ask yourself, if Jesus is the vine, if this is, tr- if this, this is what Jesus said about himself, right? if he truly is the source of life, if that's true about him, if he really is the power and the force that gives life to all things in the universe, if it's true that all things are made by him, through him, and in him, and that through him all things hold together, like if that's true, what Jesus says about himself, then that means that the only source of true joy is in Christ. There's no other way you're going to find it. There's no other pursuit in this life that's going to lead you to ultimate joy, to ultimate fulfillment, to ultimate satisfaction, except that by which your creator has created you for. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. The most important relationship of your life is if you're connected with him or not. If that relationship is out of whack, everything else in your life will be out of whack. If that relationship is intact, fruit will be the result. So take some moment, if you would, pray and reflect. Think. Talk to Jesus. Talk to the vine interact with him. I'll pray for us and then we'll put the questions up there. Jesus, if it's true about you, that you are the vine and we are the branches, then that means that you are the life force that gives us vitality, nutrition, energy in this life. Spiritual nutrition. God, we need you. Flat out, Jesus, without you, we are, we're done. And there's two types of pain. We know pain's inevitable, but Father, your purpose is not that our pain is without reason. Your intention is that our pain will find purpose to create us to be the people that you've intended us to be. You want to prune us. That's your will for us, Jesus. I pray that our response would not be to retract from that, would not to be angry with you, would not to look at you as if you're mercilessly attacking us, but Father, instead that we would see the heart of a loving Father who cares for us, who wants to make us more like his Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that in our hearts right now you would help us to see See what you're doing. You are the master gardener. Father, we need to trust ourselves in your hands. For some people this morning, God, they need to hear that. They need to hear that. So, Father, as we think about our relationship with you, our connection with you, I pray that you would bring things to the light, bring things to the surface that we need to think about, or confront us in areas of our life that we need to be confronted in. Encourage us in the places we need to be encouraged. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.